0: Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've waited
1: for. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Aces with love stop. Picked up by Gray. She can go coast to coast. There's three. There's two. She's going to launch from three. She'll see Gray. Four. Three. Unbelievable. The TC Martin Show. Jackie's got it. AC got numbers three on two to Plum for three. KP, bring it up. Boom, shaka, like a like a. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. TC Martin to Bay. She's open for three. She sees it. She's got the bucket. One, two, three times. TC Martin. And you got
2: that right, but he won't change it. Raquanah, Baybay Williams, boom, shaka, locka, locka, boom. Oh. This is the greatest show. The ball is in the air. The Las Vegas Aces have won their very first WNBA championship. The doctor is
3: now here.
2: Um, oh,
1: And yes, we are back at the Barclays Center here in Brooklyn, New York, for game number four tonight. Coming your way, oh, let's see, in approximately three hours from now, warming it up for you right here, the TC Martin Show broadcasting live from Brooklyn. And uh, game number four tonight, the WNBA Finals, the Las Vegas Aces, still one victory away from winning their second consecutive championship and can they get 40 strong minutes tonight we will see all right go jam-packed show coming your way here today from the barclays center a lot of aces talk a lot of WNBA on tap here as well plus we'll talk a little nfl college football, and more. Trevor Maddich will be joining us like he normally does each and every Wednesday. So he will be joining us then here in Brooklyn, getting ready for game number four of the WNBA Finals. Ryan Rucco, who does the lead play-by-play for ESPN with the WNBA as well as the NBA, also does the New York Knicks on the Ness Net uh, YES Network along with the uh, Brooklyn Nets. He We'll stop by and he will join us. We'll get his take on game number four and this series as well. Holly Rowe will join us as well. A little bit later on the fine sideline reporter for ESPN who does not only the WNBA and NBA games, but uh, college football and basketball as well. Uh, as I say to Holly, she has the most frequent flyer miles of anybody that I know. So, uh, She will join us uh, today and maybe some other guests uh, as well as we prepare for game number four here in Brooklyn, New York, here at the Barclays Center. And uh, just a a beautiful venue. We've been broadcasting the show all week here. And uh, after uh, tonight's uh, game number four, whether it's a celebration for the Aces, whether we'll see if they'll be popping champagne or not, we will be leaving New York City and heading back home. The big question is, are we going to be looking at a Game 5 Friday night at the Michelob Voltro Arena? Well, we will have to wait and see. But the biggest news, obviously, in this uh, finals within the last 24 to 48 hours is the injury news with the Aces, All-Star Guard, Chelsea Gray, and Kia Stokes, the Aces center slash forward, who's been a a big piece to the defensive puzzle for the Las Vegas Aces since she's been here, especially this year when Asia Wilson has received the defensive player of the year, the past two seasons and may remember the night that Asia got her trophy a few weeks back at the Michelob arena that she brought Kia Stokes out with her because that's how much she meant to, you know, her defensively and gaining the award. So both of those players are out, uh, both with foot injuries and, uh, We will uh, hope for the best here uh, tonight. But this is nothing new for the Las Vegas Aces when it comes to injuries. They've been playing a majority of the season without Candace Parker. Uh, of course you know Candace only played approximately 15 games uh, this year so they've been uh, without her and of course the aces have overcome a lot of adversity uh, over the course of this season uh, as well too on and off the court and they played exceptionally well of course garnishing the best record in the league this year at 34 and six during the regular season and uh, won the first seven games of their playoff run here currently seven and one I know they had hoped to maybe run the table and be the first team in W NBA history to go 8-0, and but obviously with the loss here on Sunday afternoon, that is not the case. But as uh, Chelsea Gray said earlier, she said, hey, we've uh, been through this before. We've been uh, a person down or two all season long, so we are built for this. So uh, we will see how all of that uh, uh, plays out Here tonight, game number four here in Brooklyn, New York, the home of the Brooklyn Nets, and of course, the New York uh, Liberty as well. So, got a lot uh, on tap here uh, today to, to talk about, we'll recap what took place on Sunday as well as a preview coming your way here three hours from now as Aces take on the Liberty. But I wanted to start the show off today in uh, bringing in the fine play by play, uh, television side for ESPN, Ryan Rucco, uh, a man who wears so many hats. Uh, it is amazing because you've seen Ryan do NBA games, WNBA games, as well as baseball. As far as uh, Major League Baseball with the New York Yankees, and uh, also the Brooklyn Nets on the NBA side, Ryan. It's uh, it's always great to see you, but it's glad to finally get you on the air.
4: Yeah, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad to to get to chat with you. I know we always get to cross paths at the arena, but glad to spend a couple minutes with you, man. Absolutely, man. So let's let's uh,
1: first of all, I want to talk about you. You're a native New Yorker, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Talk about what you're doing right now. It just has to be a total dream come true for yeah. you. I mean, to, to not only, you know, being in professional broadcasting at a very young age, but to have the dream job of working the NBA, the WNBA,
4: and of course the New York Yankees. Yeah, it definitely is. I um When I was at Fordham at WFEV learning play by play and learning how to broadcast. And I fell in love with it instantly. And I already gone into college knowing that that's what I wanted to do. And it it was a passion of mine. But when I really fell in love doing it, I thought, you know, I will go anywhere. I'll go anywhere in the world to do this. I really will. Uh, And then I I got really fortunate that some people in market heard me when I was in college, liked me, wanted to give me opportunities in the area. And so I've been able to stay um, and work locally, both, you know, with the Yankees and then with the Nets mm-hmm. and then branching out my national work as well. But for me to get to broadcast games for both those teams, um, for me to get to broadcast events like the one we have tonight, mm-hmm. uh, the Women's Final Four, you know, national NBA games, it's, I just, I love, I always love sports. Yeah. I, I was an athlete growing up and I always thought, okay, if I'm not going to play and I'm not going to coach... <laughs> What is the thing that is the closest facsimile to the energy of the game? And mm-hmm. so play-by-play was that. So to get to do it um, and get to feel, you know, those big moments, those championship moments and the rhythm of the game, especially in a sport like basketball where you just, you know, you just right. feel the rhythm, it's it's awesome, man. You know, not many in our business
1: get to have the opportunity uh, I say at an early age, I mean you 're like in your mid thirties, and that is fantastic i mean yeah. what it, what is the secret, especially yeah. in a market like this, and i 'm sure that you know better than anybody, especially in storied franchises, yeah. you know,
4: like the yankees i mean it 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 is hard to get that opportunity what 's the secret yeah. for you man? so <laughs> i i you know when i was in when I was in college, I had an internship with the s yes network, and oh. my dad would always preach to me work ethic, and I just made it a point to be the best intern they've ever had like and just be voracious with my desire to do any menial task anything at all whether it was transcribing tape for hours or running a tape from New York to Connecticut or you know whatever it might be and in the midst of that you know if people appreciate your work ethic then they're going to want to get to know you a little more right and they got to know me and people there Ashley Fegesi Jared Boschnak to name a couple of that, yes Got to know me, got to know that I knew the game of baseball, got to know that I was broadcasting at Fordham. And so then they said, hey, would you want to do stats in the booth for half the home games for Michael k I'd never done stats. like I get to be in the booth with Michael Kay. Also, I grew up a diehard Yankee fan. Sure. I'm going to be in the booth with Michael Kay and David Cohn and yeah. Paul O'Neill. Like, Are you kidding me? Of course I'll do that. Yes. Um, so I did. And... By you know, a few games into that year, Michael was like, I want him for every home game. Uh, and then in the course of doing that and excelling at the stats role, the producer and director of the Yankees, at the time it was Kevin Smolin and John Moore, they listened to my games at WFUV. And I was a junior when I first started doing that with them and then a, a senior. And they told their boss, John Filippelli, who's still the president of programming at, at YES!, you got to listen to Ryan. He's really good. And so then he listened, ended up giving me an opportunity to do some college games for Yes, then eventually one Nets game, and 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 it kind of grew from there. Yankee scoreboard, uh, they were just starting to do more programming because it was the new stadium, so they had this brand new scoreboard. So they kind of saw what I was doing, uh, starting to do it Yes, as well as um, uh, kind of getting to know my work ethic a little bit. And they were like, hey, you want to try out for this? And I ended up doing that. One thing kind of, you know, led to another, and and it and it continued to grow. And and then, sort of simultaneously, on the ESPN side, there was a a man named Pete Silverman who listened to my work when I was uh, a junior and senior at Fordham, and he was like, "I want to hire you to do updates uh, for ESPN Radio in New York when you graduate." I said, "Okay, great." <laughs> so just you know, again, one thing led yeah, to another, and my yeah. whole mentality was, if you crack the door open for me, I'll kick it down. Right and at that time, also, you know. The only choices I really had to make was, you know, whatever I wanted to do with my career. I didn't have a family yet. You know, I didn't have a significant other yet. So I was just gobbling up whatever I could. And if it meant working 100 hours in a week and being in, you know, six different cities, I was fine with that, Mm -hmm. you know. So one thing led to another and, and eventually it just led to bigger and bigger chances. Great stuff, man. Great story. And yeah. you do a fantastic job Thank you. Man. as well too. I mean, Thank
1: love you. watching you, listening to you. And again, you know, when you're in this business, uh, you know, I, we all got, yeah. you know, we looked up to people that were older yeah. than us while we were growing up and we said, wow. And I don't know if there was anybody influential in your life mm-hmm. that you said, Hey, I kind of, want to do that because of him, or you kind of want to emulate him, or you decided to say, hey, you know, I'm going to create my own niche here. But who was that guy that maybe that you would just say, hey, I want to be like him?
4: Yeah, I, I there was a lot of guys. So the reason I started really paying attention to broadcasters, which I did as a kid watching yep. games, was because my dad and I would just, that was part of what we did watching games together. And, and I'd love a great call. and I And I noticed how it would make me feel when an announcer punctuated a big moment or brought up something I was wondering as a fan or had a really beautifully narrated recap uh, of a championship season. And I really noticed and paid attention to those moments. And it made me think, Hey, I'd love to do that someday. And guys who I listened to and loved and still do were Michael Kay and John Sterling as diehard Yankee fan Ian Eagle, who's like my brother, big brother now yeah. with Nets. Um, Joe Buck, who I just think is basically immaculate as a play by play guy. I loved listening to Mike Patrick at the time he was doing yeah. NFL for yeah. ESPN right. on a, on what was Sunday night then. Correct. Yeah. Um, I loved Mike Patrick. I thought he was just terrific. Um, Marv Albert as well. Al Michaels, you know, and so I would just. Listen to all those guys, another guy who, two guys who I really love listening to on the radio, who ended up becoming friends and helpful in my career as well. Bob Papa doing the Giants and Chris Carino doing the Nets. And so listening to all those guys, you know, you took different things. Like, from what I loved, like, I'd listen to Bob Papa, I'd be like, oh, this is so good. It's like, he had this amazing staccato in his voice where he could, like, the way he'd phrase a play, like... Back to pass, has time, right. moves left, <laughs> right. under pressure. And you just like felt like you were right. kind of in rhythm with the play. Yeah. And, and yeah. so, I mean, I know I named a lot of guys. And a lot of them who I have relationships with now, yeah. I mean, pretty much you know, almost all those. I don't know Al Michaels uh, at all, but and Marv Albert I've only come across a couple times, and he was really nice. But most of those guys have relationships with, yeah. and they've been... Amazing to me in my career, in my life as well. Oh, and, uh, I, I forgot one of my favorites, Mike Breen, who, right, also from the time I was in college, he has been un, Believable to me as a mentor and someone always looking out for me, and and a really good friend now. Those are some pretty good guys to yeah.
1: have on your like say reference list, yes. so to speak. <laughs> yes,
4: yes, yes. I know. And t- it's to the point. They're like when you ask that, right? I don't want to forget any because yeah. they've all been influential right. in my career yeah. and in my life. They they mean something to me as a person. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it, I'm very lucky that they've they've all, you know, not only been impactful in my career but in my life all right you're you're a new york guy am i am i sensing a little east coast bias
1: now and uh, in these finals at all from you no definitely
3: not <laughs> definitely not because you know you know no, because i know how,
1: how you feel about the aces too because yeah. you've done many games yeah uh in michelob ultra arena the mandalay bay so of course uh, i'm just giving you a bad no, time I, that. I, I appreciate but, it yeah but no <laughs> but there's no, a
4: fraction of people of that will, we'll, we'll, will say that well we're, you know? i always joke with um because uh and Joe Buck would always talk about this. Like if you went in your like Twitter mentions, like I'm going to have people saying that I'm rooting for the Aces and I'm going to have people saying that I'm rooting for the Liberty, <laughs> which is why during these finals, I haven't gone on Twitter once. And I won't uh, there you because go. it's my choice whether or not to welcome in. <laughs> well, you could of retweeted my literary. tweet today that you're coming on. I know. On, I'm sorry. No, I'm just I've been, I've been, if i just you know, teasing well, you. i Well, we're getting all these like great ratings <laughs> news. I'm not retweeting because I just isolate myself from it. But it is, you know, what's interesting about it is like, I mean, and you know this from mm. doing this as well. Like, my only, when I do a game, the only things I care about are that we have a great show and that it's a great game. Right. And I I just, you know, if you get a great game, you don't, I just don't care who wins. Like, I don't want, you know, the things I don't like, I don't like seeing Chelsea Gray get hurt. You know, I don't like seeing something like that, you know. But as far as who, and so I never root for, like, what I root for is both teams to always be at full strength, you right. know, like I, and I root for games to be close. Um, so, you know, if a team is down 20, you know, does, do people want the game to get tighter if they're calling it? Of course they do. It yes. becomes more exciting, you know? Yeah. Um, but other than that, I know. And interestingly, and you know, this as well, you cover a league, you end up having relationships all over. So even if you had, let's say you grew up a fan of some team, when you're in the position of being a national announcer, and you're already having to be objective. And then you have relationships with people from different teams as well. It's like, like right now I was telling, it's funny. I was telling my, my, one of my friends the other yesterday, I said, you know, I'm happy for the Phillies. And he's like, you're happy for the Phillies. Like we hated the Phillies. Those <laughs> fans were awful to us. And I'm like, yeah, but Rob Thompson, who was with the Yankees yeah. forever, is their manager. Kevin Long was with the Yankees yeah. forever as so hitting coach. I love those guys. They mm-hmm. were great to me yeah. as people. And so you root for them, you know, with the aces, When I have conversations with Chelsea Gray, like she's so wonderful. Her parents, I love them. Asia Wilson could not have a more magnetic personality. She's so generous with us and her time, um, and her insight. Becky Hammond is to me as smart, as organized, as prepared and as giving in our coach meetings Mm -hmm. as any coach I've been around, you know? So, and we're lucky because honestly, the players and people we talked to from both these organizations are so great to us. Sandy is amazing to talk with. Stewie, John Quell, you know, it, it, across the board. I mean, I love talking with Kelsey Plum. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it, I, I feel lucky because I, um, I'm, I'm able to just kind of root for them all. Right. Yeah. You want to disclose your uh, MVP vote? No, <laughs> I haven't. I, I honestly, all I can say is over the past four years, okay. I have voted for both Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart. Okay. I have voted for both of them over the past four years. And um, and I think we're lucky that we have, you know, two young women who are these incredible ambassadors for the league who are not even 30 yet, and Asia, obviously, a couple of years younger than Stuart, right. and have already won championships, have already won multiple MVPs. It's just incredible uh, that they're seemingly ever-evolving players who— like, think about it. Asia was a two-time MVP— and she was better this year than ever before. Correct. It, yeah. it, it's
1: incredible. And that's why it, yeah. it, it, it stung a lot of people, especially yeah. in Las Vegas. Yeah, that, I understand. That, that happened. And then when you get a fourth-place vote.
4: Yeah, well, that know, was... Yeah. That, <laughs> I mean, You should've... know what? Thank God that did not shift right. the total numbers right. from her winning or not, because right. that would have been... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was ridiculous enough as it was. Yeah. Uh, but that would have been a, a travesty. Yeah, I mean, that's... I, I mean, that would make me upset as well because, it's I mean, anyone who knows even the slightest thing about basketball knows that there's nothing viable about placing <laughs> Asia Wilson fourth in anything. So, no, I mean, and, and you know, I, I think that what's exciting is where could these careers go? You know, like Asia Wilson could end up being... You know, a five-time MVP, and a five-time champion. Yeah. You know, like it's throw Olympic champions
1: yeah. on top of that as well, too, because yeah, she's young medals. enough to you know, and, another gold medal. You know, maybe, maybe two or even
4: three more in her career. Think and, about that. And we know there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of spice when it comes to the rivalry with fans. And you know, are you team Asia or team Stewie when it yeah. comes to the MVP? But what I love is those two women have such respect for each other, and yeah. they mm-hmm. understand. The role their rivalry plays in growing the league. Sure. And they love that, you know? And so, like, they obviously have been teammates and won a gold medal together yeah. and, um, and they recognize each other's games with great reverence. But I also really appreciate that they both get the importance that they yeah. play, not just for their teams, but for the league and for women's basketball yeah. and, and kind of see each other as, you know an equally key cog in that puzzle yeah no my sentiment is exact and yeah. I, I i actually talk a lot about
1: that how these two um Again, there's never any animosity. No. And, and they're competing at the highest level here in the finals, and they've competed against each other before in the finals yeah. in 2020, you know, when Brianna and, was with, uh, uh, Seattle. And there's just never this, like, trash talking. No. There's never animosity. There's never a stare down because there's the ultimate respect with both of them. And as you know, both talk sure. to both of them. They're both just genuine human beings. Yes. And I'll take it to the next level, Ryan, and I'm sure you'll agree with me here. We do a lot of different sports yeah. and you don't have that. But in this league it just seems like for the most part you've got so many great genuine respectable yeah. athletes yeah. that not only, you know, treat the media well but treat, you know, each other well yeah. and you just don't have that type of animosity. At least that's what I notice comparisons to NBA, NFL and even maybe a little bit in Major League Baseball.
4: Yeah, yeah, no, I I think like, you know, obviously you know there are different. You, you have different relationships and access to different athletes in different sports, and you know I, I have some amazing relationships with different guys in in baseball or the NBA. But what I love about WNBA athletes is how global their perspective is about the league and how accessible they are because they know it's part of growing the league and they sure of course they have that singular championship focus when it comes to the task at hand but they're able to somehow have that and also appreciate their larger role and and i i just love that and and you're right and these women are and i'm glad brands are catching on as well to to what great ambassadors these women are and, and can be Uh, for their brands Um, you know they're they're smart they're accomplished they're talented uh, they're thoughtful they're caring kind really universally across the WNBA I mean you just have amazing women and just to go back to the MVP thing for one second one thing I do think it's so even though at times the conversation could get contentious it's good for the league to be in a place where that conversation's happening, right? Correct. Where people care that right. much. Like, it's awesome mm. that people care that much. Like, they should care that Asia Wilson didn't win, win the MVP. They should care that Alyssa Thomas didn't win the MVP. They should care last year that Brianna Stewart didn't win the MVP. That's what you want. You want the fans to emote. You know, yeah. that's by definition what fans do, right? right. What they are. So, I think it's good that we're in a place in the league where we f- see those debates sort of extending beyond maybe just even niche confines mm-hmm. like we used to have like we're seeing more broadly those discussions being had and i think that's great for the overall growth of the sport
1: ryan rucco joins me here at the barclays center getting ready for game number four tonight he'll be on the television call of course on espn along with rebecca lobo does a fantastic job with espn let me ask you this mm-hmm. when you first got the assignment to do the wnba yeah let's let's face it they're There wasn't a lot of male lead play by play announcers at that point in time. How did you view that and how were you accepted into the league, the community
4: by fans and and your peers? You know, what's interesting is I don't know that I thought about it that much when I first took the job. I think I was just thinking about, you know, doing, doing a, a great play by play broadcast, you know, without, necessarily having that sort of global view. I was just talking about all the women of this league having of the importance to the league more broadly. Um, but And I didn't understand how wonderful this league was. uh, But it did not take me long to realize it. And I think working with Rebecca and Holly helped me realize it more quickly because they had obviously been mainstays in this league and the coverage of it for Rebecca playing in it. Um, And then You know, I think, for me, the way I look at TV play-by-play is you're like the score to a movie. And everyone can see the pictures, but you're helping the moments come to life. And so, for me, my role is to genuinely and enthusiastically tell the stories and amplify the moments of these amazing young women. And uh, to do it with journalistic integrity and to do it with uh, a genuine care. And, And I think that I take that role even more seriously now because I also realize the importance it plays in growing the league and in growing the game. Um, and, and so I, I've always, I think I've always felt accepted in this league because I think people can tell that I genuinely care, you know, and, and if someone genuinely cares about growing your sport and is, truly enthusiastic about it, usually you're going to welcome them. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've felt welcomed in really from from jump. And I think I've appreciated more the importance of my role as I've gone on. You've done quite a
1: few games in Las Vegas at Michelob Ultra Arena, whether the final games, regular season game, yeah. all-star games. Give me your your take and opinion not only of the building and the atmosphere but the aces organization as a whole i mean I, and what it's done for the league
4: yeah i i always talk about this and i talk about mark davis who sits right next to our right. broadcast table right. how yep. you know the investment he has made in the las vegas aces is absolutely critical to the growth of the league and it's And it's forcing everyone else to make the same kind of decisions. You know, that practice facility helps motivate other organizations to make those same decisions, right? You know, it's no coincidence that right now we have Phoenix and Seattle building these beautiful new practice facilities right on the heels of Las Vegas. Not to say, well, this one came first and this one came second. Just to say that when you see it happening around the league, you know, hey, if I want to be as attractive... For free agents, as that place, i got to do this, right? And also, people understanding this moment in time in women's sports and women's basketball. And Mark understood it early. Um, And I think uh, the organization, what Natalie Williams has done as general manager, um, has been absolutely incredible. You know, the way she's brought in talent and kept the talent here. Uh, The way you see how enthusiastic the core stars are of the aces are for this organization Mm -hmm. right the fact that asia kelsey chelsea um and jackie all want to stay uh and love playing here um i think it's what the aces have done has been critical to the growth of the league and the arena's outstanding Mm -hmm. when we used to do so i started my first finals was 2013 Mm -hmm. and we used to just hope we'd get good crowds, even, <laughs> right. even in finals games. <laughs> and the place we could always kind of rely on was Target Center, because mm-hmm. so the Lynx fans right. were great. Yeah. Um, and when I think about now, where I don't even have to wonder about it, and, you know, one of the arenas where we first didn't have to wonder about what kind of crowd we were going to get was Michelob Ultra, mm-hmm. because you knew regular season game, really even before they got great. You yeah. know, once once kind of yeah. went to Vegas— that team got embraced so quickly, and you felt the energy in the arena game in, game out, not just big games. So it's incredible. I mean, the atmosphere in the two finals games was fantastic. But what I think is impressive about games in Vegas is the atmosphere for a regular season game feels great. Yeah. Like, there's, I can't remember the last time I was in that arena and didn't feel like, wow, yeah. this is awesome. <laughs> you know, like every game, it feels awesome. Yeah. So... It's great. Mm. You know, I think what what uh, Mark Davis has done there and, and the resources he's put into it, mm. I think not only it's great for the Aces organization, but it's great for the league as a whole. Mm. All right, final thing for
1: you. Talk about your Yankees. I yeah. know it was a rough season. Yeah. what What is the future
4: of uh, this team? What's it going to look like <sighs> next year? What do you think? I don't know. That's a good question. I think mm. that they you know i think that what i'm happy about is they're asking i think the right questions of the organization they're asking hey why why are we falling short you know why why haven't we got over the hump why are we not developing players why are we developing players seemingly for a year and then they fall off the face of the earth like what's going on there is there some sort of thread that we can yank and and, and change the direction of this franchise um and so and they always do have the financial capabilities of obviously adding significant talent in the offseason I think that makes me encouraged um, about quickly but maybe some of the things organizationally and development wise are going to take a little longer but I feel good about them asking the right questions and then I feel good about Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge and knowing if you, it, doesn't, it doesn't take a lot to get this team over the hump when you put those two guys in place in their primes performing the way that they are
1: I don't think I need to ask the next question. Like, who do you think uh, we're going to see here in the World Series? Because we (laughs) both have a rooting interest for the managers, and uh, you got Rob Thompson, I got Dusty Baker. Yeah, I'm hoping that we get a rematch,
4: right? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure Fox (laughs) is hoping that as well. But I, 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 what do you think? I think it's going to be Texas and Philly. I do. I, I mean, I think. you know texas is on this this run right now uh where they've just been so good and you know houston is resilient and they've certainly shown the ability to win um in all situations in october right Be-
1: best road record too this year yeah, yeah, remember and yeah.
4: so i wouldn't count
1: them out just yet no i'm and not they, counting them out yeah, definitely but, but not but i know what you're saying yeah, but texas uh, looks yeah. so
4: good and then the phillies i feel like are uh, look like a team of destiny right now yeah. um so I, and the way they're mashing, you know, Schwarber and Turner and (laughs) Harper, I, I see Philly winning that series for sure. The other series, I would pick the Rangers, but with a, a lower, lower degree of, Mm -hmm. of confidence than Philly. Right. (laughs) My friend, great seeing you here. Great talking
1: with you. Uh, Have a great broadcast, not only uh, tonight and, uh, you know, for our sake
4: on the Asa side, we hope. That this is it tonight. Well, so that I do don't do? see you in Friday. You, do you, you guys, <laughs> if you win tonight and you win the championship, do yeah. you stay here and party yourself, yeah. or do you get right on the plane? And- no, we, okay. s- we
1: we stay here and party, yeah. and then hopefully it's a repeat of what we did last year in Connecticut. Okay, got it. Yeah, All right, so that's the thing. But well, again, we, we can't get ahead of ourselves. No, no, there, no. You got to get you got a yeah. game to win because yeah, as yeah. you know, this yeah. has been nothing but yeah. a home court series. Yeah, I regular know. season I as know. well as the finals. I know. Is 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 a visiting team
4: going to win a game? It is. I'll be really. You know, tonight's gonna be interesting because first game without Chelsea, first game mm. without Kia. Yeah. But sometimes that first game after, that's the game where everybody gets, you know. Right. They get they, they play they play with a little different kind of spirit and they, they have the game of their lives, so I'm really curious to see. Good seeing you, brother. Appreciate you, too. you. Thank you for having me, man. With Ryan Good Rucco, luck to your aces.
1: ESPN. When we come back, Trevor Manich will join us, and we'll talk some college football next T.C. Martin show here live from Brooklyn at the Barclay Center. Now, more of your favorite personal sports physicians.
4: doesn't sound like the usual mindless, boring chit-chat.
1: It's the Dr. T.C. Martin. Ooh. Wednesday afternoon, getting ready to turn the night here on the East Coast, here in Brooklyn, New York, at the Barclays Center. Getting ready for game number four. Coming your way tonight, WNBA Finals. Aces still in command with a two games to one lead. A victory would give the Aces their second consecutive championship. But. It could be an uphill climb tonight. It's it's been a home team-dominated series. And, of course, the Aces uh, down two starters tonight. Chelsea Gray and Kia Stokes will not play. So, interesting tale tonight. And, of course, 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. You can join me down the dial on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM in Las Vegas. Pre-game show starting at 4.30 as Becky Hammond and Alicia Clark join me. And uh, we'll take you up to that uh, here on uh, our show here today. All right, continuing on here. Let's uh, change the pace a little bit. Thank Ryan Rucco for joining us here courtside. Talking a little WNBA, a little Major League Baseball. Now we talk football with our guy, my guy, Trevor Mavich. What's happening, Trev? Mr. TC, I am good, man. How are you doing? I am fair and continued warmer. How's that? How's that? Yeah, I feel like a weatherman here, you know? You know, I mean, in New York City, a a trip that you know very well, you take pretty often here. You get to October here, you know, New York can be kind of nice in the 60s, but then it can get cold in a heartbeat, you know? So that's what I'm noticing, my friend.
3: So I guess you're saying it's uh, partly cloudy with the chance of another WNBA championship.
1: (laughs) There you go. Thank you very much, my friend. I like that. I like the way that sounds. All right, my friend. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what we saw last week in college football, specifically Notre Dame pounding USC. Notre Dame needed that victory big time. USC, on the other hand, People could probably say, "Well, maybe it's not going to hurt Notre Dame. It wasn't a conference. Lo- well, you know that loss to Notre Dame isn't going to hurt them because it wasn't a conference loss. But still, in the big picture, a loss always is harmful if you're talking about getting in the college football playoff." UFC showed some vulnerability last week. Give me your thoughts on the game itself, and how concerned are you if you're a Trojan fan?
3: You know, I, I I'm actually kind of encouraged. Okay. From the USC game. Yeah. And, you know, the offense melted down. They had five turnovers. They couldn't protect the quarterback. It was just a, just a big meltdown. I don't expect that to happen again going forward. This USC offense is legitimately one of the best in the country. They can protect the quarterback. You know, they've got some injuries, but so does everybody else. You know, they're well balanced. They can run the ball in addition to throw it. All those things. I, I think this, this was a mulligan for the offense. What impressed me was, the defense. Now, Notre Dame scored 48 points, right? So why the defense? Well, included in that 48 was a, a kickoff return for a touchdown, a fumble return for a touchdown, a interception return to the two yard line, another return to the 12 yard line. The defense only, you know, only gave up, um, you know, uh, well, Andrick Estame, the, the great running back for Notre Dame, had his second lowest yards per carry of the season. And in Notre Dame's uh, nine actual drives, not ones that were like super short because of turnovers and stuff, nine actual drives, they only scored two touchdowns. And so the defense for USC actually stepped up and did a lot better than I expect them to. It was just all the the extraneous garbage that was going on around them that ended up running up the score. But that's actually a very good thing because if that is a sign that the USA defense is is playing better, tackling better, better with their assignments, better with their gap responsibility in the run, then that's going to help them going down the stretch as they face Washington, Oregon, et cetera. And that's what they'll need to do. And that's been the cloud that's hung over this team all season long is whether or not the defense is performing so poorly that it would squander the opportunity that the offense provides. I mean, Notre Dame only had uh, two plays of over 20 yards, just two. And that's unheard of for this USC defense this year, but it means that they were tackling better. And they were better with their assignments, So you didn't have guys running free because someone on defense was out of position. So as bad as this was, I'm actually kind of encouraged because I trust the office to bounce back and the defense actually looked better.
1: From a Notre Dame perspective, we know that the uh, losses to Ohio State and Louisville really hurt the Irish. Uh, Narrow loss there, of course, in the Ohio State game, which, you know, they can blame themselves, probably should have won that game. But now Notre Dame definitely needs to win out. What do you think is is the focus for Notre Dame? Or, or, you know, as far as do they still have any hope as far as a, a college football playoff?
3: No, we've not seen a two-loss team make the playoff, in the playoff era. Right. Now, next year it'll be different. They go to 12 teams instead right. of four. And so, you know, a lot of teams will still be in it. But Notre Dame, because they're an independent, doesn't have a conference championship race either. So now they're just playing for pride each week. They're playing for the win, and they're playing for a, a New Year's Six Bowl game uh, berth, if possible. So that's kind of what they're playing for. Uh, they're playing to be a spoiler. And the truth of it is, Ohio State, is the biggest bunch of Notre Dame fans outside of South Bend because the Buckeyes went up there and beat them in South Bend. And if Notre Dame is able to now win out with this win over USC, um, if they're able to win out, make a BCS bowl, et cetera, it makes Ohio state's chances to make the playoff, even if they lose um to michigan or penn state and don't make it to the big 10 championship game uh it makes it more likely because that is one that would be then one of the best wins one of the best wins of the season one of the best non-conference wins certainly so you know ohio state is the one that needs notre dame to win even more than notre dame does
1: caleb williams uh not a great game last week People think that he's going to be the number one overall draft pick next year in the NFL. Give me your take on, on Caleb Williams. Did you see anything last week in the loss to Notre Dame that was somewhat alarming? Or, or where do you project him still, Trevor, as far as an NFL quarterback?
3: Now, I don't think it changes as far as NFL quarterback goes. He's got a lot of Patrick Mahomes in it. In other words, he can make all the throws. He can scramble around. But then he's got that Mahomes magic. Where he can, he can escape that sack in miraculous fashion. He can throw drifting at a weird angle with a weird arm angle and get it accurately to the place he wants us to go anyway. So I, I don't think this Notre Dame game changes anything from that standpoint. One thing that is a little alarming is that, you know, amongst the three interceptions that he threw, uh, were a couple of really bad decisions. I mean, terrible decisions. You know, throwing off his back foot. In the general direction of a receiver that had a defender in front of him. It was just, it was just terrible choice, uh, to make those throws. But it's the kind of thing that he's, it just wasn't him. It seems like somebody body snatched him and somebody else was in his uniform. Now, if he does that consistently going forward, because he still has to play Washington, Oregon, Utah, UCLA, right? Uh, the, uh, if, if he does that going forward, it makes bad decisions as opposed to just gets beat on a play once in a while. They do to reassess, but for now, uh, I'm not worried about Caleb Lynch. From a Heisman standpoint, uh, this is a real blow to his Heisman chances because I, I get the sense that and have over the years that Heisman voters are very reluctant to, to give a Heisman to a player or award it twice. There's only one two-time Heisman winner, and that's Ohio State's Archie Griffin, and it seems like if you're going to win it twice, that second time, you would have to be so overwhelming and so far ahead of the the next in-line candidate that they'd really have no choice. And, and what Caleb Williams did in having such a terrible game, and he was awful against Notre Dame, he gave Heisman voters an excuse to not give him the Heisman. Mm-hmm. So now the question is, what does everybody else do? Mm-hmm.
1: Two big time matchups this weekend as we look at the card. You've got number seven Penn State traveling to Columbus to take on the Buckeyes. They are number three in the country right now. How do you see this game playing out? And we really haven't seen Penn State tested up until now.
3: What do you think? Well, this is, this is kind of a fair fight. Um, Penn State has not been tested. You're right about that. And, you know, they've been dominant all the way through. Statistically, these teams are very close. They're the top two. Statistical teams offensively in the Big Ten, in terms of, of yards gained, and in terms of yards allowed, they're two of the top three with Michigan sandwiched in between. I mean, they're, they're just kind of, they're kind of, they're, they're great. I mean, they, they um, are outstanding defending against the pass. What worries me is that while the defense looks super sound and the offensive line and the running game look really, really good, the offense, when you study it, doesn't look terribly dynamic. Drew Aller, a quarterback, has really good stats, but he just doesn't appear to be a, a guy that's 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 like a Caleb Williams or a Michael Pendix Jr. or even a, um a Kyle McCord of Ohio State. You know, he just seems to be just moving along, but then you all of a sudden you look at the numbers and he put up big ones. So that's kind of weird. Um, you know, the offense uh the offense just doesn't seem terribly dynamic. They're balanced. That's good, especially going in against Ohio State because Ohio State's offense is not able to run the ball very well right now. They've got, you know, the three new starters on the offensive line, including both tackles, and they're still trying to find their way at that position group. And then they've got injuries on the, in the running back room. And so they're mostly a passing team, but their passing attack has really stepped up and they might get receiver Amika Buka back. He missed last week because of injury. He might, he might be back for this game. We'll see. Um, but, you know, this will be a passing attack that's going against the Penn state defense, which has 27 sacks, which leads the big 10 and is second in the nation to the Texas A&M and getting after the quarterback. And if you are to dimensional against that, they'll just tee off against you. So, You know, you, you're trying to find places where these deep, where these, these teams are different from one another, right? Now, one thing that is different from last year is the Ohio State defense. Last year, they were one of the worst in the country at giving up, uh, plays of 40 or more yards. In other words, they just, they, they would do great, 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 bam, gouge for a 75 yard touchdown. And this was because they prioritized attacking at the line of scrimmage and there was nobody left to clean up a mess if if a receiver or a running back broke a tackle and got into the open. This year they've gone the opposite direction. This year the Ohio State defense is focused primarily on stopping the big plays. And so they had given up zero plays this year for forty plus yards. Last year they gave up eighteen. And so but they're still doing a really good job. They're giving up more yards but they're still holding teams to very few points. So when you put all that together how is it going to shape up when these teams face each other? You know, Ohio State's been tested by Notre Dame. Uh, Penn State hasn't. Right. And just because of that alone, I think the Buckeyes have the edge.
1: All right, Trevor Mass joins us, ESPN college football guru, as I like to say. And, of course, he joins us each and every week and part of our best bets as well on Friday. Tennessee, Alabama in the SEC. Tennessee hanging around uh, up there. Alabama number 11. I uh, can throw the records out here, Trevor, even though they're both very, very good still. But, uh, this is, seems to be a war. It's a battle. We've seen Alabama a lot on the national landscape, on national television. And the book on Alabama is, yep, defense looks pretty rock solid, but still some questions at quarterback. Tennessee, I, I'm not sure a lot of people have, have seen them so far this year and, I'm just not sure exactly what to make of Tennessee in the couple games that I've watched them. Now they got to go down to Tuscaloosa and face the Tide. How do you feel about this game?
3: Yeah, Tennessee has regressed to the 1970s. Yeah, I think is what you would say yeah. in this one because last year it was a high flying, up tempo offense with Hendon Hooker at quarterback, and they they'd run plays like at 11 second clips. A tackle would be made. They'd run up and snap the next play at 11 seconds sometimes. And it caused defenses to not be ready for the snap in terms of their assignment and their alignment and things like that. And they would just gouge it going over the top and Hooker could hit it. Joe Milton, the quarterback this year is not running the offense at as fast a clip, which is one of the reasons he lost the job to Hooker last year, partway through the season. And he's not able to hit those deep passes with the same consistency that Hooker did. And so this team is now relying on running the ball and stopping the run. They're they're the top rushing attack in um, in the SEC when it comes to yards per game. Now think about that. Tennessee leads the SEC in rushing. Tennessee <laughs> passing is okay, but not dominant. And their their that fact means that the defense has a complementary offense to them. In other words, instead of the Tennessee offense going onto the field and either scoring or getting off the field within just a couple of minutes, and then the defense is back out there getting worn out. Now the defense sits on the bench and you know has a glass of water, and they're relaxing, and and the opposing offense has fewer drive opportunities because the Tennessee offense is eating up the clock. So it's kind of inadvertently made the defense better. So this is actually kind of a fair fight and kind of an old-school fight because Tennessee is coming into this thing with the thought of beating Alabama, not like they did last year with the big pass, but beating Alabama by just smashing him in the mouth. I'm feeling
1: a Trevor Manich under in this game coming up on Friday's best bets.
3: You know there may be, and uh, I'm guessing that if I pick under, I should stay away from that and go with Tennessee plus nine. So we'll, we'll see how we'll see how it goes. <laughs>
1: Utah and USC. So USC, a couple of tough ones back to back. You got Notre Dame. You got Utah uh, coming up this week. Uh, USC is at home in the Coliseum hosting this game. But we know the Utes are for real, right?
3: How do you see this game, Trev? Well, this is going to be an, uh, a tough place for the USC offense to bounce back because Utah's defense is just playing lights like out. This might be Kyle Whittingham's best um, defense. At Utah they're they're just fantastic. I mean they lead the Pac-12 in points allowed and are one of the top in uh, in the nation in that and in yards allowed. The problem for Utah has been the quarterback situation. I mean their last last week they did a really good job against a pretty stout Cal defense. They scored 34 points overall as a team. But again with the with the backup quarterback, Bryson Barnes was in there. Um, you know, Nate Johnson uh wasn't playing, it was Barnes, and you're still looking at a at a backup quarterback. So now all of a sudden you're looking at the USC with a defense that looks resurgent. And as good as Barnes might be, and as good as the Utah rushing attack is, and it is good, then the the defense of, of Utah or excuse me, USC has a chance to rise up and make some things happen here. Um, keep in mind too that, that Sioni Vaki, the running back that, you know, had 158 yards last week for, uh, Utah against Cal. Uh, he's not even a running back. He's a defensive back, I believe. Uh, they had to put him in there. They've had some, some issues going on, uh, in running back. So, um this game to me is going to come down to whether or not U- U- Utah's defense can rise up and limit USC's offense. They did last year in the big, in the Pac-12 championship game, did a great job against Caleb Williams. Um, this is how this was going to shake out because the truth of it is, uh, USC should win this game. They should win it because of the massive advantage they have at the combination of quarterback and wide receiver. But at the same time, you know, Utah's defense is the equalizing factor. So the question now is, is the is the USC defense's improvement that they showed against Notre Dame real, and can they carry it into Utah week? Because if they do, you, USC should win this.
1: All right, Trevor Mass joins us ESPN. Final thing for you, Trev. Washington, number five in the country. You mentioned Michael Penix, Jr., phenomenal quarterback. We saw some shades of that years ago when he was at Indiana. was injured first year at Washington, but he has been the Huskies are the Huskies for real here? When I say for real, I mean, are they a college football playoff?
3: Yeah, I think they are because of their offense. I mean, their offense is just just incredible. And they've shown the ability to win in different ways. I mean, they, they love to throw the ball deep down the field. Arizona took that away by dropping everybody deep. And so I guess the Arizona, they had all kinds of creative plays to, to run the short passing game and the screen game. and There's lots of creativity. Uh And then against Oregon, it was a combination of the two. But their defense still worries me because from a statistical standpoint and just a standpoint of getting stops, the defense isn't consistent enough. Now, in fairness to the Husky defense, three plays by the defense, I think, won the game for them against Oregon. All three were fourth down and three to go. You know, there was fourth and goal at the three. There was 4th and 3 at the 8. And then there was a 4th and 3 about midfield uh, at the end where Washington stopped them, got the ball back and two plays later, scored the winning touchdown. So Washington's defense did rise up in those situations. But from a consistency standpoint, I worry a little bit about their defense. However, the offense is so good that I think this team is a legitimate threat to make the playoff and to make some noise in the playoffs because of the points they can put up against anybody.
1: All right, my man. Enjoy the weekend action, and uh, I know you'll be on the radio side on ESPN on Saturday, and uh, we look forward to your best bets coming up on Friday, brother.
3: All right. Appreciate it, T.C. Thank you. Go Aces.
1: You got it. All right. Trevor Manich uh, joins us. talking a little football in a WNBA-dominated show here today as we are live from the Barclays Center here in Brooklyn, New York. We already talked to Ryan Rucco earlier this hour. Well, next hour, we've got the top two females on the ESPN team coming your way. Our very own Carolyn Peck will be joining us, and then Holly Rowe as well, too, as we break down Aces and Liberty, game number four of the WNBA Finals. Will there be a game five? We'll update you more on the Aces' injury status as well, too. So we've got that and a whole lot more coming your way from Brooklyn right here at the Barclays Center T.C. Martin Show here on a wild Wednesday.
0: Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've waited
1: for. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Faces with love a stop. Picked up by Gray. She can go coast to coast. There's three. There's two. She's going to launch from three. She'll see Gray four, three. Unbelievable. The TC Martin Show. Jackie's got it. Ace's got numbers. Three on two. To Plum for three. KP, bring it up. Boom, shaka, like a, like a, boom. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, TC Martin. To Bay. She's open for three. She sees it. She's got the bucket. One, two, three times. For TC Martin. And you got that
2: right! he won't change it! Rakwana! back Williams! Boom! Shaka Laka Laka Boom! Oh. This is the greatest show! The ball is in the air! The Las Vegas Aces have won their very first WNBA championship! The doctor is now here. Mercen! Um,
1: Get ready for game number four of the WNBA Finals here in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. Yes, tip off about two hours away as we get ready here. So we'll take you up uh, to the next hour. Then you can uh, switch on over down the road. Pre-game show at 4.30 with me, Becky Hammond, Alicia Clark, on ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. And right now, we're going to keep it aces with the TV side, my compadre, Carolyn Peck. Also doing the national broadcast, actually doing the studio work, but the studio actually happens to be here on the set here at the Barclays Center, and always great to see you, my dear.
0: Good to see you T.C.
1: Let's get you cranked up again here. So there we go. We got. Can Can you hear me now? Uh, I can hear. You. Let's it. Uh, okay. let, let me give you this introduction again. The one and only <laughs> Carolyn Peck <Penn>
0: joins me. <laughs> Hey, TC, can I get a boom-shaka-laka-laka
1: boom? boom? <laughs> yes, you can. Do you want, it, you want me to save it for later? Save it for later. Yeah, save it, we, it for later. Have, yeah. How many boom shaka can we get tonight?
0: We're going to need several. The oh, Aces no. are going to have to, but they were, they were coming very freely, I can imagine, in Game 1 and 2. Not so much in Game 3, yeah, so if yeah. they can get back... To that way they played in the first two games, especially moving the basketball. They reverted back to some bad habits in game three, but those are all fixable things. Moving the basketball is when Aces basketball is at its best.
1: You got that right. All right. From your perspective, okay. As we know, Aces fans, uh, see you, Krista Blanca doing the TV side. And of course, you do all the, a lot of the ESPN stuff in studio as well, too. So you're here basically representing and, and look and working for ESPN how talk about the change and the difference from now keeping it that national perspective and not that homer mentality not that you do but as as local broadcasters and you're doing a lot of you know the aces games talk about that and then just doing the studio here
0: well it, it's not really hard uh, when you get to uh, plan for the finals and sitting now in the seat as an analyst for the countdown. Mm. It is purely based on analysis. Uh, not, I'm not a fan when it comes to doing my job, when it comes to analyzing, uh, the adjustments of what each coach is going to make, what players are playing well, which players need to step up and do better. That's where I just have a coaching a- analyst hat on and it's not pro aces. It's not pro. Liberty, it it is is pro-WNBA, and what can I do to help the folks at home understand what's going to happen on the court?
1: Television ratings, uh, just monstrous, uh, set a record for the first three games as far as most viewers and ratings. I mean, talk a little bit about the growth of this league, because you have been around it for many, many years.
0: I was sitting up at Game 3 here in Barclays, and I was looking all the way up to the upper tier that normally in the regular season is draped off and it's open. It's full of players, full of, full of people and fans. And I thought back to when I was coaching in 99. Uh, with the Orlando Miracle, right. at times we had to give seats away, give tickets away, <laughs> to get butts in the seats to make the arenas look full. yeah, hey, there were no comps yeah. given at Barclay on right. Sunday. Everybody that came in had mm-hmm. to purchase a ticket, mm-hmm. and so that just tells you the demand that there is now for women 's basketball, mm-hmm. and that this league and these women have done a terrific job to help fans understand this is a this needs to be the place to be and watching Women's basketball—it's a professional sport that's worth paying
1: for. Absolutely, and you talk about just in matter of like three weeks' time, you have seventeen thousand one hundred and forty-three here uh, at the Barclays Center, and we had over seventeen thousand at T-Mobile Arena mm-hmm. for an Aces playoff game as well, too. And just you know, kind of unheard of—we've never seen these type of crowds before. But just goes to show you, like I said, the fan bases of these two teams, but then also from the national perspective. And you know better than anybody. I mean. Isn't, isn't this league great or any sport great when you have this type of, of environment, and especially in New York City? I mean, heck, then, you know, the Knicks wish they could have the success of the Liberty, <laughs> right? Album, right? Isn't that the truth? Yeah.
0: Yeah. They need to check the recipe of what the Liberty have <laughs> and what they have brought to Brooklyn because yeah. it is, uh, it's the hottest ticket in town. You look at the celebrities that were here, yeah. the celebrities that were in Las oh. Vegas. Yeah. Uh, the president Nikki Farkas told me she had some celebs she had to say no to because <laughs> there just weren't any seats left. Yeah. I mean, that's where this is, you know, it is, it is, Fun, entertaining, and you see great basketball.
1: Yeah. Well, they were dropping, uh, you know, they need to drop your name if they want to get in. That's what they need
0: to Uh, I I got no tickets. (laughs) This credential around my neck is the only thing that's getting me in the building.
1: All right. It was dreadful to see what happened with Chelsea Gray on Sunday with about four and a half minutes left. Give Mm. me from your perspective on what you saw.
0: You know, she was defending Brianna Stewart, and from what I didn't see was... I didn't see a turn, you know, an ankle turn. I mean, it it was very hard to predict what actually the problem was. But the only thing I did see is that she was hobbling, coming down, and then having to hop to get out of the arena out back in the hallway and with ESPN we have cameras everywhere and just seeing the amount of pain that she was in I was heartbroken and really had to gather myself for you know what we were going to talk about post game because I know the work that Chelsea has put in all the way back from the injuries that she suffered in college to play at the level of where she was and especially being the MVP of last year's finals now I was praying that it was something that she could come back yeah. for for today, but without her, with her not being able to play, I was heartbroken for her because I know how bad she wants this. Yeah,
1: yeah, just, uh, just treacherous to to see. But you know the the. Um demeanor that she's had along with Kia Stokes has been so positive and you know this uh, just like I do that she is the floor leader she's the team leader not just on the floor but on that bench in the locker room and Becky is always joking with us for saying hey Chelsea's the real coach so you still have that element alive here but how does Becky handle this situation tonight because this could not happen at the at the worst possible time here you are Granted, you're up two games to one, but you're in a place where you haven't win, haven't won yet this regular season in this finals as well, too. It's been a house of horrors in this building against a phenomenal team. How does Becky handle this lineup and this situation going forward tonight?
0: Have you met Becky Hammond? Yeah. She mm-hmm. thrives in this. Like there she, is She's got
1: stuff in her back pocket.
0: I'm gonna tell you everywhere. nothing nothing has ever come easy. For Becky, from the time of being an undrafted player. So, really, being the underdog is the most comfortable position she could be in. I talked to her day before yesterday, and she said, and cover your ears, but I love this bleep, because... This is like, um, you know, some, some people like to get a Sudoku book and solve things. Well, that's how Becky looks at this situation. Okay. Yeah. You don't have Chelsea Gray. Then she finds out she's not going to have Kia Stokes. You know what I get to do now? I get to junk up some defenses. I need, I get to throw some, some tricks for me. And the thing about the New York Liberty. What are they scouting? Because they have no idea exactly, what right? the Aces are going to do tonight. That element of surprise is so huge for the Aces. They need to take advantage of that because if this goes to the fifth game, this gives New York an opportunity to adjust. If they can take care of business in Game Four, then it doesn't work. It doesn't matter who's available for Friday night.
1: Hey, we've always heard the term. Hey, you know, it's you can always steal a game, right? And it's, you got 40 minutes. And in my opinion, you don't even need to steal 40 minutes tonight. If you can steal like maybe 29 or 30 minutes and Asia Wilson can be, you know, Superwoman again and you can get the production out of Jackie Young and Kelsey Plum, which you got in those first two games, specifically game two, the Aces still could pull this thing off. The depth has always been a question. We get that. But real quick before I let you go. What about Kayla George? Who is that X factor? We know Alicia Clark more than likely probably in the starting lineup tonight, but you're going to have to have Sidney Colson contribute. You're going to need Kayla George to contribute and maybe even Elena Coates. What do you think, Coach?
0: Well, I think that Kayla George is going to have to be huge, specifically defensively because she brings the size that the Aces do not have, not having Kia on the floor. But she also, Kayla George is a three-point threat. And I think that starting could be a plus for her because she can get in the rhythm early as opposed to sitting on the bench. And then when she comes in, have to warm up. The thing that Kayla doesn't need to do is try to do more than necessary, but to play. And one of the focuses for the Aces tonight is different from on Sunday where it was quick shooting the basketball, free-flowing You know, get to that 6th, 7th pass within the offense, and Kayla George is a tremendous passer. And as sweet as she is with that Australian accent, (laughs) Kayla George is big. She is big and mean. And she's strong, too. And she's physical inside, and she don't back down from anybody. So she's going to have to bring some muscle for the
1: Aces tonight. What about the mindset of from a player's perspective here because she hasn't started a game all season long and now you're thrown in to a starting lineup tonight in game three of the final game four of the finals and you got a body up against John jonquil jones or brianna stewart look
0: kayla's an experienced player one of the top players in the WNBL in australia mm-hmm. and we are playing against some of the greatest players in the world She's also had experience playing against USA Basketball. So this is not anything new. Uh, She's prepared for this. She always talks about, listen, I just want to be ready when my number's called. And... That's part of professional sports, and you're going to demonstrate either you are ready to be here or maybe you're in over your head, yeah. but I think these players are ready to, to answer the challenge.
1: I know you're ready for the TV side. We'll let you go. Carolyn, always appreciate uh, talking with you and seeing you. All right, and, TC. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll be celebrating later. You never know.
0: I'm trying to figure out how, when I'm on the set, how I can get connected to your radio broadcast so I can hear the boom, chicka-locka-locka-locka-boom. boom <laughs>
1: I can give you that information. We can, we can give you the link. There you go. All right, and share TC. that with your, your ESPN sisters up there. I will do it. All Thank right, you, girl. TC. Great seeing you. Carolyn Peck, one of the best. And, of course, does the television side for the Las Vegas Aces uh, during the course of the regular season and part of the ESPN national broadcast. She's, uh will be in the studio. So you, that's what we always advise people, right? You want to watch the game on the road, Okay? Watch the TV side and go ahead and listen to the radio broadcast. There you go. Sync it up there. That's what Nunchuck always does.
2: Right? Yeah, I do.
1: There you go, boys. There you go. I get a lot of that. A lot of people tell me that. They go, hey, you're, you're 30 seconds ahead or you're 30 seconds behind. I said, I don't control that. I'm sorry. Okay? But uh, there you go. Yeah, Carolyn Peck's one of the best, no question. And uh, grateful to to be involved with her from the aces side and then of course on the national side on ESPN does a fantastic job so she'll be getting ready for the uh um, pre-game show the WNBA today and they're going to go on the air here at uh, the top of the hour Holly Rowe is going to join us at the bottom of the hour so we'll get some more uh feedback from the ESPN crew here thought we would involve them all here today uh with Holly Rowe and Ryan Rucco earlier in the show and Carolyn Peck uh, Uh, Drop by to join us. All right, the the teams are on the court right now, and Kayla George just walked by me right now. Hey, there you go. I love hearing that. Hey, mate. I always get called mate from Kayla George. Uh, So she's ready out here. Alicia Clark. Of course, Kelsey Plum lives out on the court. She's always out here firing away. Kirsten Bell is another one that the Aces are going to have to get some production with uh, tonight. So when you're missing Chelsea Gray, your point guard It is huge. And I think there's a lot of conventional wisdom where people are thinking, okay, who's going to be the point guard? And does that point guard role mean you have to sacrifice scoring? It's not necessarily the case, especially in Becky Hammond's offense. And I love what Carolyn said in our conversation just now, is that Becky Hammond thrives on this. She's been an underdog her entire life. And I can tell you just after practice yesterday, she was just – very giddy and she was like, Okay, you know, our backs against the wall to a certain degree, even though we only need one one more win, but everyone is kind of painting the picture that the aces are done here. Of course. That's understandable. When you lose the finals MVP and your floor leader and Chelsea Gray, and then also Kia Stokes, you're losing your starting center. Again, you're already playing, been playing without Candace Parker for the last three months. So yeah, aces have faced adversity before. They've been in these type of situations. And Becky Hammond just has all kinds of tricks up her sleeve. You will see some zones tonight. You might see some box and one tonight. And the thing about it is the Aces have been able to go to those gimmick defenses during the course of the regular season almost on a game-by-game basis as well, too. So I don't think that that it's going to be a lot of foreign territory here. Now, the Aces do have to overcome this New York Liberty team and this court and this crowd because Aces have not won in this building yet this year. And like we mentioned, none of the games have been close. Now, on the flip side, it's been the exact same thing for the New York Liberty when they came to Michelob Ultra Arena. Regular season games as well as the first two games here in the finals. you got to remember that the Aces defeated the Liberty by a combined 45 points. And so it, it, if the Aces are whole then you feel pretty good about tonight's game and then specifically Game 5. But you just don't know what is going to happen without your leader in Chelsea Gray and in another big body and a shot blocker and a rebounder in Kia Stokes. But I will turn it back to this, exactly what Carolyn Peck just said, that the New York Liberty have no idea how to scout of what the Aces are going to do tonight. Yesterday's practice was closed. Nothing leaked out as far as what the Aces were working on. So and Becky Hammond is great at just keeping everything close to the vest in what she does and her game plan and everything. As a matter of fact, she hasn't even announced the starters yet. And uh, in the press releases that come on out with the projected starters, um, the Aces only listed... Three players: Aisha Wilson, Jackie Young, and uh, Kelsey Plum, on there, and then the two blank spots. So a lot of the New York media and the national media, and then people here at the scores table, uh, you know, who operate the scoreboard, the game clock, and the official scorebook, they were chuckling like a, they go, "What's this?" and you go, "Well, oh, this is Becky Hammond. <laughs> and again, this is the finals. So this isn't a regular season game. And the Aces are treating this like there is no tomorrow, even though, yes, they could lose this game and still host game number five. But more than likely still you're hosting a game number five without your two starters. So a lot on the line here tonight. But it's funny just being in here in New York to seeing how the narrative uh, has changed. When we first got here, it was like, well, we understand that the Liberty – are a very good home team, even though they actually had a better road record than they did at home. They were 17-3 and during the regular season uh, on the road and at home. And remember, they dropped the first two games of, of uh, each respective series in the first two rounds on their home floor. They lost to Washington. They lost to Connecticut here in the Barclays Center. So they are beatable at home. But when they face the Aces this year... The two times during the regular season, and now in game three, they exploded, specifically in the third quarter, and they've got the job done. So it does take something from a player standpoint to get over that, saying, hey, we know that we haven't won in this place. We know we're capable of, and we played good halves, good first halves in every game, but we just haven't got the job done in the second half. So more adjustments will be made. And again, there is nobody better than Becky Hammond for adjustments. And we've seen her make adjustments at halftime, especially in game number one of this uh, this finals where the Aces cracked open a a, tough, a tight game and ended up winning by 17. And then they won by 28 points in game two. But time after time, we've seen the Aces explode in the third quarter after fiery speeches and some halftime adjustments. So a lot of question marks when you come into this game here today on what you're going to get from the Aces. One thing you know you're going to get, you're going to get a team that's hungry, ready, prepared, and feels like, hey, now it's us against the world mentality because that's where the narrative is right now. Everyone around here in New York, within the Liberties organization, the fans, and even the WNBA, to a certain degree, are thinking that hey, the Liberty are now the favorite. Now the sports books technically, Aces still are a favorite, and a heavy favorite still at two forty-two fifty. Now that is just more of an algorithm type of thing. Okay, well, the team with the best record has a two games to one lead, and they have two more chances to win one game, and that fifth and deciding game will be on their home floor. But you have to factor in the injury situation here because that is huge but going back to just the narrative here they had the ceremony they, they were actually when you're one game away from from clinching they have a rehearsal I remember going through this last year and so as I sat here earlier today before we came on the air watching the trophy presentation rehearsal, I had flashbacks to last year in Connecticut when they did it prior to game number three, which the Aces lost to Connecticut and actually got blown out in that game. And then game number four, the Aces came back and won that game. So if you're looking at a little deja vu moments, okay, game four, they won it last year. They could win it here in New York in game four on the road. But what was different in the rehearsal with the WNBA And they had New York Liberty people like standing in to recreate just so they could kind of do a dress rehearsal because they didn't have Holly Rowe out there to do the interview. They didn't have, uh, you know, obviously Becky Hammond to uh, accept the trophy and this and that. Last year in Connecticut, they were reading off the script. And then they would say the Las Vegas Aces, because they were, you know, one one victory away. And they would say, okay, you know, now let's introduce the MVP. And then they would like say, make it up, like, oh, Chelsea Gray or Asia Wilson ended up being Chelsea Gray. Totally different today, as they refused to say the Las Vegas Aces, and they would say the winning team. The winning team. Here is the winning coach. Oh, here is the most valuable player, the finals player, and, you know, and not name a name. And there were some New York Liberty people that were, and, and WNBA officials that were stepping in, you know, to just get the timing down and everything like that. And they were acting like the Liberty won, like saying, and then, you know, practicing, okay, like you have 30 seconds to basically say, you know, to answer Holly Rose questions and that sort of thing. And it was, it was very strange to see this, like... They feel, even though the Aces are one game away, and they're having this ceremony, this trophy presentation ceremony, in case the Aces win tonight. Because if Liberty win, they're not having the ceremony here. The ceremony for the winner of Game Five would be at the Mikalojus Ultra Arena. So it's just kind of a weird scenario here, and just pointing out where people think this series is going. That. The Liberty are the favorites now because of the Chelsea Gray and Kia Stokes injury.
2: Now, is that something that they they would have done here for five? You know, like no, no. But but what I'm saying is, the winning team since it's both since it's both teams can win.
1: Exactly, that script would be apropos for Game Five because it's two-two, right? Yeah. But it was, like I said, I can only compare it to the two rehearsals that I was at last year for, you know, games three and four last year where it was all about the Aces. And the same scenario take you know takes place here for the exact same thing. And I wasn't at the rehearsal yesterday, but I know they had one. But then it just seemed like today it was like insert winning team, not Las Vegas Aces. Crazy. crazy. Yeah, it was. It was yeah, to- Totally crazy with all this stuff here.
2: So now, I saw that you had an amazing dinner last night. Oh, we're going to go to dinner time. Oh, we're going to dinner because that oh, steak I... looked oh, so good. Yes, yes. So after I left the show
1: yesterday here at the Barclay Center, um, there was no one for me to ask because, as you know, I was the only one in the building yesterday. Yep. <laughs> there was not 17,143. Attendance was one. Me. It was kind of cool, actually, but anyway. So I had to I had to go to Google and say, mm, let me, you know, I, I feel like a steak. I had to get one more steak in before I leave. Steak houses near me, and there was plenty of choices. So you know me, I, I'm going to overthink it. But I tried not to overthink it too much. And I went to the menu. This place had French onion soup. It had the filet mignon. It had the New York. They were all prime steaks, no Wagyu, but that was okay. It was an old world steakhouse, been around for like 30 years. I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. And uh, the description was old school chop house in Brooklyn. So yep. it wasn't too far away. And, uh, of course, they had the fresh cut fries and home fries. Now, you see I had both.
2: I did so I see that you had both.
1: Mind. Yeah, yeah. Phenomenal.
2: Yeah. And I also saw, so I was reading the description for the French onion soup. Yes. Did they have deeply caramelized onions?
1: Okay. I don't have enough time in this segment to detail the full story, but I do have a story. I will just tell you this. The French onion soup was one of the worst I've ever had.
2: Oh, no. Now you, saw,
1: you saw the picture, right? I saw the
2: picture. The picture and the looked picture good.
1: Look, you know why it looked good? Because of the cheese. So I had to step out last night, and I had to have a conversation with the owner. Of the restaurant Oh no Yes I'll, I'll go into more detail At another time Yes But I'll just tell you this I had to say So when the server Came over and said What sir you, 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 uh, the the His terminology was The French onion soup Is not for you I go It's not for anybody I said Message to the chef The star Of the French onion soup Is not the cheese You have a Pound of cheese On here The star of the French onion soup Is the broth it is the onions, yes, yeah. the caramelized onions, especially as you said. That's what won me over. It's like, are you kidding me? That's that needs to be the star. It's going to be delicious, and it wasn't. It was all watery. It's watery, and they just they were selling the cheese. I go, don't sell the cheese. You got to sell the broth and the caramelized onions in Not, the soup.
2: Now, what steak did you end up getting?
1: I ended up getting the filet. Okay. I got the twelve, I got the 12 ounce filet. Very nice. All right, I got the twelve ounce filet. <laughs> Um, I had two of them, if you
2: know what I mean. Yes.
1: Yes. Because the first one was not cooked properly.
2: <laughs> Damn, Karen.
1: No. If you ask me how I want my steak, and I say medium plus, I'm okay with, you know, and I and I specifically say slightly pink. Yeah. I like pink throughout. When it comes back, my friend, it looked like, there was tire burns on this thing. I gotta send it back.
2: Okay. Let's just no, so, I I'll agree with you on that one. Yeah. Okay. Right? That's all. Yeah. That's
1: all. And the server was great and everything, but I felt bad for the server because the server went back and told the chefs and I heard this argument. They were arguing. And they were arguing about me. Like, and again, it's an old world Italian steakhouse. And, uh, yeah, all of a sudden, you're, you're, this is a scene out of a movie or something, and everyone in the, in the steakhouse is like, they could hear the commotion because I was seated like 20 feet from the kitchen. The owner comes barreling out of there and says, Hey, my name is uh, Tony D. I am the owner here. Let me tell you, I've been here 17 years. I've had two complaints, and you're the second one.
2: What's the problem?
1: I love it. <laughs> so Tony D and I got into a little little argument, so to speak. And uh, I told him that uh, that was not a good way to to lead into a conversation. And uh, so they gave me they remade the steak. The steak came out rare. There was and there was more yelling and screaming in the kitchen. And then I asked, "Hey, can I get some?" fresh potatoes to come here because they've been sitting for a half hour now. The waiter says, absolutely, sir. The waiter goes back, more yelling than screaming. Like, uh, there like there was going to be a brawl back there, and it was all because of me.
2: See, I'm guessing this is something that happens to you a lot. It but doesn't. You, but you just don't hear it. Like, that <laughs> was just one place that you heard it. No,
1: because this is an old-school Italian place and they do not want to be told that their steak is undercooked or overcooked but if it is it is right so I said how am I the bad guy how am I the bad guy because you asked me how I could he goes, well we go color here we go color so you should have given color I said I did my friend I said I said slightly pink throughout oh uh and I go by the way it's downright embarrassing for everyone in this restaurant including myself to hear people arguing and yelling in the kitchen Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. There's there's no arguing. Oh, yeah, there was. I go, everyone in this restaurant heard it. So he disappears for a while, and he comes back. Uh, Sir, Uh, now he's talking like this. I I apologize. I apologize. Apparently, there was some yelling back there. I'm so sorry. I want to apologize. And then he said the magic word, nunchuck. You and Marco know what that magic word was.
2: I already know. I'm not even... Your meal. Of course he was.
1: And I said, you could have led with that. Instead, and I said that. You could have led with it. He goes, well, my apology is I'm comping your meal. I go, you could have led with that instead of, hey, I've been here for 17 years and only two people. I've had two complaints and you're one of the two. I said, how about that bedside demeanor? You think you could have you could have started with that? Exactly. And, and, and he's then he like, all of a sudden, he was my best friend now. Now he's inviting me to come back. He wants to show me a picture of his family. Oh, yeah. It was an ordeal last night.
2: At least it was a good dinner.
1: Ended up being good.
2: Yeah, it ended up being good in the end. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it did. It did. All right, Holly Rowe wants me to track her down, but I don't know how I can track her down because I can't leave my post. So I'll go to the break and see if I can track her down because... I said, I'm just going to text you. And she goes, but track me down. (laughs) So, All right, so Holly Rowe is scheduled to join us. We are live here in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center, getting ready for game number four. Crowd is now coming in the building here, and we're getting ready to see if the Aces can clinch the title of the victory tonight, even though they will be down their starting point guard, Chelsea Gray, and their center, Kia Stokes. T.C. Martin live here on a Wednesday getting ready for the WNBA Finals Game 3.
5: This is Holly Rowe from ESPN, and you're listening to the TC Martin Show.
1: Yes, Holly
5: Rowe in the house
1: here tonight, and uh, she's scheduled uh, to join us, but she's got some ESPN duty she's doing right now. And uh, we're live here at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm going to tell you something right now. I've got my man here that I see every time I come into this building, and if you've ever been to any major event, specifically basketball, whether it's college basketball, NBA, WNBA, you will see this guy at the scorer's table. He has been doing the official scorer's job for 58 years at all of the great venues here in New York City and elsewhere as well. Danny Fishbane joins me, the official score here tonight at the Barclays Center. 58 years, my friend.
6: 58 years and met a lot, a lot of nice people. (laughs) I appreciate that. I'm one of those, right? You're one of those, most definitely. See, I
1: just just, just walked myself right into that. No, I I, I want to stay on the show. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so paint the picture for our listeners that may not fully understand, okay? The official score, his duties,
6: his responsibility, and how crucial a job you have. When I come to the arena, uh, one of the most important things for me is to be able to know the rules. of uh, Whether I'm doing a women's basketball game in college, a women's basketball game here for the W, or men's, the rules are different. I've got to know the rules so that I can be ostensibly the fourth referee in the building.
1: Right. Okay. You got plenty of stories. I mean, you've been at the the greatest venues in the in the world. Give me, share with me a, a great story or two. Whether it's it's players, it's coaches,
6: celebrities, whatever it is. Well, I've been lucky enough to work with you know some of the the best ball players in the, in the world. People like. Uh Bill Russell, I started my career, I'm a Boston boy, yep. I started my career up there and have several rings locked away at home, uh, but p- people like uh, Russell and Cousy, uh to Heinzen uh, and Havlice coming here and working with the great Nick, Knicks teams and Nets teams, and certainly one of the most wonderful things is watching these young women here with the Liberty uh, do their best, but... Every story has its own beginning and its own end. Uh, I can talk to you about uh, uh, Michael Jordan coming into the Meadowlands. Uh, Michael would come in, and he was always the, the nicest, nicest guy. And we established a relationship. And I was lucky enough to be able to bring uh, my kids to the ball games, also. And, and Michael was good to them. Uh, one of the funniest stories, I think, is... At a given point, they didn't allow a lot of people access to Michael, mm-hmm. and the trainer said to me, "Don't worry about it, Danny. You'll be the kids will be able to come and see Michael."
0: Mm-hmm.
6: Lo and behold, Michael goes back to the bus. My kids come to the bus. They walk right to the back to where he is with permission, yeah. and they say, "Excuse me, Mr. Jordan." My dad said that I could get your autograph. He sort of grabbed them by the shirt and smiled and said, "If your dad said it's okay, then it's okay with me." Wow. Yeah. Okay. You know okay. They, that, that kind of thing. To be involved in uh, the championships in Boston, to go on the parades, and we had a. A real family in Boston. We were all friends, whether it was the ball players, the peripheral people like myself, and so on. We we spent uh, birthdays together. We spent holidays together, uh, and and that's what's kept me going all these years. I people will will kid me and say, "When are you going to retire?" And I, my answer is very simple: Why? <laughs> uh, and the why is because I love, love, love the game. But I love, love, love the people I work.
1: And with. And I was going to say that with you, in, in, with uh, you know our encounters and everything. You are everyone loves you. You know you are such a great people person, and that really gets you coming back and wanting to to show up for work every day when you are surrounded by great people. And again, most of these players, a lot of people don't understand, have are, are great human beings as well too, especially. In this league, in the
6: WNBA, and you have that in, in the NBA and college basketball as well, too. Well, a lot of the people will say, "I, I guess you met this celebrity and that celebrity." Yes, I've met a, a lot of celebrities, but guess what? They're just people like absolutely. you and me. Absolutely, <laughs> we absolutely. become friends. Um, uh, not always bosom buddies, but yeah. Uh, yeah, and more than a just a hey, how are you? Right. You know, it's it, it's a wonderful deal, um, and. Look at I know people like um, I know a woman named Holly who just showed up. <laughs> you know how lucky can one man get? Exactly.
1: <laughs> All right, Danny. Uh, Great to see you, as always, my friend. Uh, You know, just no funny stuff in that scores book tonight, okay? It's a joy, but I
6: I have to say, I work here for the Liberty, so my book already has ten book ten points in for them. (laughs)
1: See, I knew that. Have a great time, my friend. Lots of good luck. Penciling an an extra twenty for Asia Wilson, okay? Ah, you you got it,
6: baby. Okay. Good to speak to you. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it.
1: All right, there it is. So we go from one uh, New York legend uh, to another here. Not so much New York, but just a, a worldwide legend, as I like to say. The one and only Holly Rowe joins us now.
5: Holly, how you doing? I am so great. I mean, the only thing I will say is it is very challenging to plan your life when you have no idea <laughs> where you're going to be tomorrow. Like, we, I literally have no idea where I'm going to be when I wake up tomorrow because we, you know, either I go to football from here or I go to Vegas from here. So it's very chaotic trying to plan your life around these finals games. And... Um, I'll be honest with you I was looking at this as like maybe this was going to be a sweep after the way the Aces played in games one and game two I kind of organized my travel like I, I don't think this series is going to be what we thought it would and then of course the injury to Chelsea Gray and the response from the Liberty they had a tremendous response in game three played much better so you know, that's why we play him. That's that's why we play him because you can never predict what's going to happen.
1: It seems like every time I talk with you I I, I say what I'm about to say right now. But this case I don't know how you do it. You have got to have more frequent flyer miles than anybody that i know all i know is i'm back in vegas and then i'm seeing you you know i'm traveling over here and then there you are on tv in in washington and the washington oregon game i said oh i guess holly's not gonna be doing the game three in new york and everybody says well of course she's gonna be here i go how's she gonna make it i don't get it (laughs) i mean you're talking about from the longest Plane flight, I think it, yeah. that you could actually Seattle to New so- York, yes. right? Exactly. How yeah. do you how do you do this? Seriously,
5: you know, I'm really starting to question it. The older I get, like <laughs> I don't know how much longer I can keep doing it because it is hard to go from a college football game where I'm on my feet for six or seven hours in a night and I'm running around and it's it's a lot of energy I'm yeah. expending. Um, this this week I went back to my hotel, took a two hour nap, then I got on a red eye, got to New York City at 6:30 in the morning Sunday. Got to my hotel, took a four-hour nap, and then came to the arena. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best right now, but um, <laughs> I don't know how much long it's. It's a labor of love. I'm just going to say that because I don't get, I get paid exactly the same whether right. I do this or not. Yeah. So I, it's absolutely a labor of love for the W, and um, right. that's what keeps me going.
1: As a sideline reporter. Are there major differences from those football assignments and the actual work that you're doing compared to basketball? I know obviously the weather is one thing, you know, and you you gotta probably run around more in a football, but just but as far as preparation and the actual game stuff, how, how different is it or is it not different?
5: It's not different because the the weird thing about being a sideline reporter, so like for you calling the game, you can plan out your open and what you wanna say and I can plan out my open. Mm. And after the ball is tipped, nothing's planned. So I might have 10 to 15 stories that I've been like, hey, if this happens, I have something on this. So, for example, tonight... um, if, if Asia Wilson's playing every minute of the game, I have a story on how Becky Hammond called her two days ago and said, I need you to play 40 minutes tonight. Right. And she right. said, I'm ready for it, Coach. This is what I've trained for my whole life. Um, so we're going to keep an eye on the minutes of the big three for the Las Vegas Aces. Mm-hmm. Um, Courtney Vandersloot, I have a good story about her tonight. I have a great story about Kayla George. You know, she, yep. she may get an opportunity to be a big place in this game. And she talked to me about, she's been a pro all around the world for 17 years and been in Olympics, been in world championships, been in big moments. And so this stage is not going to frighten her. So you know, it's like you don't know what's going to come next. You, right. It's like, okay, let's put it all in and a hat and to, juggle it around and see what we can pop out.
1: And you have to have stuff in your back pocket, basically, exactly. right? That's exactly. just I know, how it unfolds. Yeah, you prepare
5: a hundred things yeah. and maybe ten get in, and you don't know which ten of the hundred you prepared got in. So it's fascinating. It's really cool.
1: How close, when you're doing a college football game, do you look at the weather report, though? <laughs> That's
5: got to be I treacherous, do. right? Yes, <laughs> I do, yeah. For example, Saturday I had prepared for rain, I had packed my rain gear, and it literally started raining on the final drive right. of the game. Michael Penix gets the ball with a minute left to drive down the length of the field. Two plays, they score. Oregon gets the ball back with a chance to get in field goal range to kick a field goal to win it and they miss the field goal and the rain had just started on those final two possessions. So it's it's funny how it works.
1: <laughs> and I imagine, you know, you you and your hair saying, oh, no. This is this, yeah. this is this is a oh, bad no, hair yeah. day." And you hate that. Had
5: a lot of bad hair days on TV. I <laughs> promise you that. <laughs> on TV too.
1: <laughs> WNBA Finals. Uh, three games in the books. Highest TV ratings and most viewed finals in WNBA history. How much of that is Aces Liberty? Because you and I talked about this you know, months ago back in Vegas. How much of it is just the, the growth of this game and then really kind of the acceptance of... Of everyone now, kind of finally, you know, clinging on to this league.
5: I think it's all of the above. I do think this is star power. These are the brightest, biggest stars in the league. You have the the most recent MVPs and Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart. Like they are generation next after Sue Bird and Sylvia Fowles retirement. So I think that's a big part of it. But then I also think the basketball is just good and people like it now. Mm. Um, and I think our windows have been good. You know, somebody was yeah. texting me in a, or tweeting at me in a in a fury that we keep putting this up on Sundays against NFL. I want you to appreciate this, W fans. (laughs) It was up against the Jets-Eagles, which is the highest-rated game of the year on Fox Sunday, and the W still did its biggest number. And so like, we have different audiences, Yes. and people are flocking to this game, and maybe you're turning between both and giving some time to both. But I think the days of like, oh, woe is me, we're going up against the men... It is the playing field is much more equal right now with viewership because people get to choose what they want to watch now, and it's beautiful.
1: No, you're absolutely right. And again, a lot, and I have this argument all the time with people; they don't understand. I say, well, it is unfortunately controlled by television, and of course, ESPN has contracts with college football. They have, yep. uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Monday Night Football. So you're not going to play, you know, uh, on on those uh, days. Uh, it, that's just the way it is. But you're right, though. I think it. It's kind of cool because maybe if you're not an NFL fan and you are a diehard basketball fan or a W fan, then you have this this window on Sunday that's pretty cool. And let's be honest, a lot of people don't have that uh, direct. Well, not direct TV anymore. It's a YouTube but, but package, cable. right? Right.
5: And it's on network TV right. on a Sunday afternoon. It's a huge window. And there
1: are some markets. And I speak for this in Vegas last week where you didn't have a local game there on yeah. there. So you know what? You gonna you know, see uh, you know some infomercial or you want to. You watch NBA uh, WNBA Finals game.
5: Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, all that.
1: All right, let's talk about the narrative for this game here. Uh, obviously, it has to be Chelsea Gray and Kia Stokes' injury, right? Yes. Talk about how the narrative has changed from basically the first two games to the beginning of Game 3, and then now after the Liberty win that game, and we have the injury uh, injuries with, with Chelsea and Kia. What is the narrative now?
5: So uh, I think when the finals started, we all thought this was going five and this was going to be an epic series. After I saw the way the Aces played in game one and then the first quarter of game two, I thought this might be a sweep. And, you know, the Liberty people will be mad at me for saying that, but I literally wore my championship outfit for Game 3, getting ready for the photos and, Uh you know, being in black so I'm in the background and not standing out too much in the pictures because I really thought the aces were going to walk away with it. So, number one, shout-out to the Liberty. They had a response and and responded in such a way that was magnificent. I mean, they played their butts off, but I'll tell you this. Becky Hammond said, "We we graded... 12 to 15 categories, and the players went through and watched film yesterday and gave themselves the grade. There was one C in 15 categories. Everything else was a D or an F. It wasn't just about how the Liberty played. The Aces were not themselves, and they know it. And so even though they're shorthanded tonight, they have to get back to who they are um, which is moving the ball, um, being aggressive in transition, being better on transition defense. like there's fifteen categories where they were getting everything from a D to an F. Right. you know, so they they have to be better regardless of the injuries and what happened.
1: And I think a lot of people are shortchanging the Aces now and calling them the underdogs in this situation because of the injuries. And, of course, this has been a house of horrors f- for the Aces. They have not been even competitive in, in games here in this building. But, again, it's been a home-and-home home series. The New York Liberty, like you said, they got you know blown out, uh, combined 45 points in games one and two. But I think that people are shortchanging the Aces for what you just said, that the Aces weren't themselves granted, you're going to miss Chelsea Gray, who you and I agree, and we've talked about it before, is one of the best point guards this league has ever seen. She's not just, you know, you're losing you know, 16 points and 7 assists a game, but that floor leadership and that demeanor in the locker room and on the bench with Chelsea, you'll still have that, but just her production and that mindset, but it will also give Becky Hammond a chance to really kind of junk it up, you know, maybe defensively. Right. And how does New York prepare for the Aces tonight because they have no idea what Becky is going to come up with.
5: That's right. It's so funny. Uh, we just ran into Sandy Brundello in the back, and she and Becky Hammond ran into each other in their hallway, and Becky Hammond said to Sandy, watch out. We're going to junk it up tonight. So so <laughs> Becky has already notified yeah. Sandy Brundello of that, which I find hilarious. Right. But, you know, I do think, listen, I, I, I've got this scenario going a hundred ways in my mind. Right. This could be a situation where the Aces rally and have one of the most historic epic performances ever and win a championship tonight. They could have a historic epic performance and fall just short and a and, uh, game five is forced, or they could totally get blown out because they're missing Chelsea Gray and Kia Stokes so much. I really don't know, but I know this. Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young, and I'll put Alicia Clark in there. They are stars in this league. You have four. Of the top 20 players in the league on the floor tonight for the Aces, don't put anything past them. They, they they can absolutely win this game. I don't know if they will. I know they're capable of it. All right.
1: So when you said you dressed for the championship ceremony for on Sunday wearing the black, you got the bright p- pink and purple. So, it's what are you trying to say, girl? Are you only, trying to no. say it's
5: game five? No, the only thing is I'm down to my final clean clothes. <laughs> so, please don't read into anything with my outfit tonight. I'm down to my final clean clothes. are oh, you talking about? Not bad. wanting to stand out. I mean, you look, I know. You now look I'm fantastic.
1: You look fantastic, but, but yeah, it does
5: stand out compared to. I did not what you want to wear activity. this for the championship moment, <laughs> but it's all I have left in my suitcase. So, sometimes fate intervenes. but I, um,
1: I hope for the Aces' sake that. We're seeing you. Yeah, if in you see the with, with championship
5: desk. photos yeah. in years to come and I'm in bright pink, then you know it all happened tonight. So <laughs> that's hysterical. But listen, I um, we just had our coaches meeting with Becky Hammond. Yeah. So if anybody's offended by language, turn your channel right this second. <laughs> so Ryan Rucco, our play-by-play guy, goes to Becky Hammond. Coach, how confident are you for tonight? And Becky Hammond, without skipping a beat, looks at him and said, Ryan, I'm confident as bleep. <laughs> And it's not the fudge word. It's a different word. Right, right. That's what Becky just said. She's yeah. missing two starters. We yeah. went back and looked through finals history. We cannot remember ever in the WNBA finals two starters being out in a game. We've had starters go down. famously went down for Detroit. Um, we, we saw Planet Pearson has gone down in a, in a final series. We've seen one injury to a starter in games. We've never seen two starters out in a finals. Never. So if the Aces do it tonight, it will be history for a lot of different reasons. And listen, even if they force a game five, or if a game five is forced, we go to Vegas, they can still win this. I mean, they can still win this championship, I have no doubt.
1: You've done many Aces games, as we've talked about before, regular season playoffs finals games talk a little bit about the venue at Michelob Ultra Arena and also let's talk about this venue because these to me they're like one in one a 17,143 we're here on Sunday we had a game at T-Mobile Arena when we were forced out to Michelob for the first round of the playoffs and we had over 17,000 there as well too but just talk about the home court advantage for both of these teams
5: yeah I think home court advantage is huge in this series because it gets so loud like you can't think. You can feel it in your bones. It's like so awe-encompassing and overwhelming, and you can't think. And um, Becky Hammond has this dear friend, uh, Dr. Na- Renee Rochester, who travels everywhere with Becky. She's taken him to the Olympics, to Russia. Like this is the, like Becky Hammond whisperer is Dr. Renee. Right. And she has come up with a phrase for the Aces tonight, poise in the noise. Mm. And and it's important because it gets hectic in here. It gets noisy in here. The fans are awesome, and I agree with you. With you, these are two of the best in the league. I would put, you know, Phoenix when they're rolling right. and the Lynx when they're rolling. They're they're also very good. But right now, these might be the two best fan bases in the league, and they're showing up and they're loud and it's passionate, um, and it makes the games even that much better.
1: It's going to be great. Well, we'll let you go do uh, the TV thing. And uh, I'll see you during the course of the game. I appreciate the time, as always, Holly. Always.
5: Thanks for having me. I always appreciate you. All
1: right. There she is, Holly Rowe. All right. We are going to say so long from the Barclays Center here in Brooklyn as we get ready for game four of the WNBA Finals. Uh, don't forget, Joyce, Tomorrow, tomorrow's a travel day for me. So uh, Chris Wynn will be filling in. We're back at it Friday. Will there be a game five? We'll see. For Numbchuck, T.C. Martin saying so long from the Barclays Center here in Brooklyn. And remember, down the dial, ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM, pregame show coming your way at 4.30 p.m. Have yourself a good one, and we'll talk to you on Friday.